Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast on JewishCoffeeHouse.com, the show where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca, your host. Just before we start, I'd like to preface this is a part of our three-part series because at the end of this episode, or toward the end of this episode, we do talk about marriage, relationships, and the male perspective, which is why it's in the series. However, the beginning of this episode is focused more on Yigal. I really wanted to do an interview with him. He has a really interesting story. And I wanted to learn more about how he used podcasting to really build a business, just because lots of you reach out and want to know how that works. So we have this combo here. But definitely listen to this episode because toward the end of the episode, we discuss men, relationships, marriage. Why are there certain difficulties for men when it comes to relationships, next week we have an exciting episode to complete this series. And then we'll move on to other topics unless you reach out requesting more. Thanks for reaching out as always. Here we go. Welcome to the Francisca Show. Igala Dado, it's so great to have you on today. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So today's conversation is a little different, and I'm really excited for it. Thank you for giving your time today. Yeah, my pleasure. Anything I can do to serve your audience? I've listened to a couple of your podcasts just to get familiar with it, and it's awesome. Thank you. So congrats. What was your favorite episode that um, you listened to? There was, there was one that you posted the other day about, there was some conversations about like LGBTQ and then like what people do with that when it comes to the religious aspect. And I just thought it was very transparent, very open, and very necessary in today to at least have the conversation and not just throw it under the rug. Yeah. Well, my chats have been blowing up. <laughs> the people are not so comfortable with just accepting and throwing religion out the window to make room for this. So it's definitely complicated. But let's hop into here and talk to me about yourself a little bit. What's your background like? What's your Jewish background like? Yeah. As you get started doing the awesome stuff you do. Yeah, so I am a Sephardic Jew. I was born in Istanbul, Turkey, moved to San Diego when I was about two years old and grew up here and always was in the Jewish community. I was part of the, like the Maccabi movement here, became a, a Madrich, like a counselor, then became a leadership development director for the Madrichim for a while. I'm the president of my synagogue, so I'm very, very involved in my Jewish community. I am not per se Orthodox, I'm traditional. So I eat, for example, kosher meat and chicken. I don't keep Shabbat, but I go to synagogue every Saturday. And so I'm what I call traditional. Actually very funny, but after going to the Hebrew day school here, I was going to go to yeshiva because my dream was to be a chazan and I wanted to sing. And it didn't work out for some reason. But what I did do was I became a rock star. I toured with a band. I sang rock. And then opened up a business here in San Diego when I realized that I was a poor rock star and I wasn't making money. I was having a lot of fun and opened up a chain of pawn shops here with my brother and did well in that and then sold it and then got into the business of coaching and consulting and leadership development after that. Well, it's like looking in the mirror. I started off as a musician and that's why I started my podcast to build an audience for my music. Nice. So, and here we are consulting, coaching, online service provider. So talk to me about the transition from the starving artist mentality uh -huh. into the entrepreneurship space of the pawn shop business and with the struggles yeah. that you had to actually overcome. My dream was to be a singer. 
It's, uh, it's what I love to do. And so I was on tour with a rock band and we opened up for groups like, like Weezer and No Doubt and uh, Good Charlotte. So very in like the punk rock genre tour. We were actually the opening band for Woodstock 99 in New York. And uh, I had a blast, had a great time. But the music business was very, very tough. In what ways? So I believe that we were very, very talented, but people didn't want just talent. They wanted to change us. They wanted us to become, at one point, like one record label said, hey, we'll sign you if you guys become more of like a boy band. And we're like, absolutely not. That's not who we are. And so they wanted to kind of just change us all the time. And what happened at the end was we had our drummer who started off when he was nine years old. He got a gig with a very, very big band. And we just realized that it's time to move on. Like we had a fun nine years. You can listen to my music on Spotify. It's, it's up there. But it was time to move on because we were going to Los Angeles and touring and it was just tough. It was, it was a very, very tough life. And so some of the members just didn't want to do it anymore. So our drummer went off to play and became very, very famous. And my brother, who had a business, said, hey, go. I know that you still want to do your musician stuff and your artist. Why don't you just come work for me for a couple of days and help me with the back end stuff? So I was doing the accounting. I was doing the legal paperwork. And then I would go sing at night and on the weekends. Two days became three, became four, became five. And I realized that as much as it pained me and it hurt me so much to leave the music industry, I wanted to work and I wanted to make money. So my brother said, hey, become my partner. I'll give you 50% of the business and let's make this happen. So three days became seven days a week, 14 hours a day. We worked our tails off, but I was able to take what I learned on stage and put it to business. We would do parking lot shows for the customers. We were on television, social media. I was performing all the time to be able to grow the business, grew that business. Thankfully, we sold it. And then I got into the coaching and consulting uh, arena. So that's kind of what happened. I, I, I still sing. I still go to shul and I sing. I call it synagogue, right? But I still sing and I love it. But I truly love being an entrepreneur as well. So that took over being an artist. I still do some of that. So I still keynote speak. I give workshops. So I still try to be on stage as much as possible. And podcasting helps with that as well. Uh, I agree. And there's a give and take. So you had to move on so you could be getting something back from all the stuff you're putting out. And your music is still out there. So it's, it's not gone. And podcasting is a beautiful way <laughs> to rechannel that love of performance. So my daughter tells me, Bobby, can you put on your music and we'll listen to it? It's still out there. I created something that I loved and I had fun and it helped me through my life with lots of things, especially it was a very, very tough time in my life. So if you listen to my music, there's some anger in there. There's some depression. There's some excitement. There's everything mixed up. It was kind of like therapy as well as just enjoying the art of singing and, and creating music. And like I said, I had to move on and that was fine. And I, and I find ways to do that today all the time. I, I had an event, a two-day event last week where I was on stage eight hours a day. And so it gives me that, it, it, it scratches the itch essentially for, for performing. And then doing this, when you said, hey, do you want to come on the podcast? I'm like, yes, let's go. I love podcasting. I love connecting with people. I love, and this isn't just performance, right? It's we're performing for the audience, but it's what I call like transparent performance. We're not pretending to be somebody that we're not. We're not talking about something that we don't know. 
but we're still performing into the microphone. It's also doing a lot of the same stuff over and over again, which is exactly what you do on stage with a hit yeah, song. <laughs> 100%. When you transition into consulting and coaching, what's that experience like for you? Podcasting, I'm assuming, wasn't the first step, or was it? No, no. so I've been a student of leadership. I love leadership. It's how I build my consulting clients is first through leadership. My belief is that a great leader can great, build a great business and not just that, but can build a great life at the same time. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to go into leadership development. So I got an office and I started leadership development. I was executive coaching. And then one of my mentors, because I believe in coaching, one of my mentors said, Egal, well, you know what you should do? First, you should niche down, find a niche, and then start a podcast. He's like, I started my podcast. He's like, it's intimate. People are listening to you on the road while they're running, while they're hiking, whatever it is that they're doing. And he goes, that's what you should do. And I said, okay, let me figure it out. So I bought a, the same microphone that you have at the moment. I bought a $60 Logitech camera and I started creating content for the pawn shop industry, which is the type of business that I built and sold with my brother. And at first that was just me speaking. I would bring in guests and I think we just released episode 203 uh, this week of that podcast and we're in 83 countries. It's a very, very small niche. So we're about 85,000 downloads, which for me, I'm, I'm very, very happy with that number. On average, I'll probably get 100 to 200 downloads per episode. But for my niche, which is a very, very small niche, those are great numbers. They're great numbers. And so I took the podcast, I started a Facebook group and I drove people to the Facebook group. From the Facebook group, I, I actually did something very, very wild. I booked booths at the pawn shop conventions and I would podcast for eight hours straight. So I took my gear and I would just pull people from the crowd and be like, hey, come and chat with me. So I would be live on Facebook and I'd be podcasting for eight hours and I would just create tons of content through the podcast and the vlogging channels. And I started my mastermind. I started the business and it grew and it, I've done very, very well. And, it, and for me, it all started because of this medium, which is podcast. So let's break this down. You decided you want to go into leadership coaching. You had zero clients, no real offer. And then you just jumped in and started building an audience from zero. You probably first announced it to your Facebook friends, to your family, and it wasn't relevant to them. Probably most of these people slowly, slowly grew to a place where you have now a couple hundred people listening to each episode, which is massive. Thank mm -hmm. you for sharing your numbers. And I can acknowledge that those numbers are very impressive. You said you've been podcasting for five, eight years. Yeah. So I think we released the podcast in 2018. I think that was the first episode. So we're four or five years into it. Yeah. And we release every single week, a podcast a week. I'll, I've taken breaks. Obviously, if it's December, I'll take a break. Besach. So what's actually funny is I don't need to take breaks anymore. And I'll tell you why, because I go live almost every single day in my Facebook group. My team will grab the live and create a podcast out of it. I'm not intentionally all the time sitting in front of, I mean, for those of you listening, I have a much better microphone now, much better camera lights, a studio, the whole nine yards. But sometimes I'll just hit record on my phone and I'll do a Facebook live and that will be my podcast episode. So there's no really excuses in creating content. You can create it anywhere. Yeah. And so many people do that actually. And you'll hear 
the live version from them speaking at some event where obviously the sound and you hear an audience and then other times just from the phone, whatever you have. Yeah. And I, and I think the most important thing is to know that people want to listen. They want to hear what you're talking about. And as long as you're speaking from the heart, and if you go back to my podcast, at first I was very polite and kind and, oh, this is what we should do. And then I got some some trust in the industry and I started saying some more harsh things. And I started th saying things like, there's very few entrepreneurs in this industry. Let's make more entrepreneurs out of the hustlers on the counter. I said, you know, you have no idea about marketing. There was so much trust. And then when I would go to the conventions, everybody, you go, I listen to your podcast. I love it. Or I'd get an email. You go, thank you so much for all the value that you bring. And so it's not just building a business for me. It's also creating transformation and helping the people out. And so I have people who listen to my podcast every single episode. They're very loyal listeners. Ne will never be a client. Uh, that's fine. And then I also have people who listen who are loyal clients. So you kind of get both, best of both worlds. And you had your coach slash mentor helping you figure out how to turn your audience into sales and happy clients and a community. So this coach, he's a mentor of mine. So I don't pay him to be a coach. He's a good friend, mentor. Uh, his name is Alex Sharfin, very famous business coach. And he just said, like, go start a podcast. Like, go just don't make a plan yet just start and then we'll have a conversation so i just started because a lot of people get hung up on oh and then what do i do and this and what about afterward and hold on what am i going to say and so i just listened and i just started recording and probably after like episode seven or eight i was like aha like mastermind let's go and so i charge 1500 a month for my clients in a group format we have a call every single week we have two or three live events every year. I bring in people outside of the industry to speak on leadership. We've had Jocko Willink and John Gordon and different people, you know, Billy Jean talking about marketing and strategy and all that type of stuff. But it all stems for me from the podcast. Everybody listens and they know, like, and trust me because I give so much value on the podcast. So anyone listening might be thinking, Francisca is going on year five now. Val, you're going on year five now or six. Is it too late to join this movement? It, maybe it's too saturated. What would you tell someone who's thinking that? So I think it's too saturated only if you're way too general. If you're going to start a podcast about living a great life, there's 22,000 of those. My belief is that if you start a podcast for example, I'm going to guess that your audience is mostly Jewish listeners, maybe, right? I, I could be a could wild be a, guess. <laughs> wild guess, right? So, but you do what you do, and that's probably your avatar, and maybe, and maybe you have people outside that avatar as well. But my belief is like, as long as you niche, you can have a lot of success with a podcast. I just started a second podcast, and the second podcast is called Tribesmen. It's a podcast for Jewish men where we talk about leadership and leading your family, your business, and your relationship. And my first episode, and I hope it's okay for me to say this, was all about porn addiction. And it's stuff that people don't talk about on other Jewish podcasts. Other podcasts are very Torah-based and, and learning. And I was like, let's air out the rug. So we talk about drug addiction. We've talked about porn. We've talked about taking care of your parents who have like Alzheimer's and dementia. We've talked about being a real man and not acting like a little boy. And so for me, it's like, that's the niche and it's slowly growing. And 
And those types of things I, I love because it's just, you can find the audience faster. What do you mean by that? In my, again, you're, you're the expert at this as opposed to me, but my belief is like when you have a podcast that's just about leadership, let's say, let's say if I start a podcast just about leadership, I'm competing with 10,000 leadership podcasts. But if I build a podcast that's about brick and mortar store owner leadership, it's a whole different ballgame because now I have an avatar. I can find them. I can run ads towards them. I can go to conventions where they are. I know what they're thinking, doing, seeing, feeling, hearing. And so it's a lot easier to talk into the microphone using the avatar's language as opposed to just speaking about leadership. Unless you're somebody famous, you turn on, you can, you can talk about whatever you want and it works out, right? But that's just my opinion. I think that podcasting is still here to stay. I do believe that, for example, I record all of my podcasts. And so I take my podcasts, I put them on YouTube, I create reels, we create TikToks. As long as you can repurpose everything, I believe there's still space to have success. You took the direction, which was clearly very smart, focusing on niche. If, if somebody wants to start a podcast that's more passion-driven, and they are nervous that their audience are going to be people with very limited belief systems where they don't, they wouldn't invest in themselves. They won't want to potentially fix their problems or grow. Would you tell them to try to, as you've mentioned earlier, we'll sign you, but become a boy band, like start a podcast, but maybe don't focus on what you actually want to talk about, become more commercial, more sellable. So my belief is that one, you've got to be you. You have to be transparent, open and honest. And that's what people want to listen to on the microphone. If you're just going to hit record and speak general and not admit the truth about things and you're not going to share, like you said, people don't share their numbers. It's like, why not? Like, what, what is it? it doesn't, it's not bad. It's not good. It's just metrics, right? That's all it is. It's just metrics. It's not bad. It's not, it doesn't determine who I am as a podcaster. It's just, these are my numbers. And I probably make more money than some podcasters who have a lot more listeners. So your numbers matter as long as you're turning it into business somehow. Now, when it comes to your passion, yes, speak about your passion, but do it truthfully and honestly and connect with the people who are listening. I'll give you a great example. My wife and I, in order to have our first two babies, we had to go through IVF. And IVF is excruciating. It's, it's hell. It's hell for my wife who... I had to inject her, you know, in the butt every single day with hormones and she was suffering. And then I was suffering as a man, like, ah, I'm, I'm, I'm here in the world to procreate. And I can't even do that correctly. Like what's wrong with me. And so you're going through a lot, but if I was to start another podcast, right? Like the tribesmen, I talk about that. I share that. Why? Because it's my responsibility to help break the limiting belief of the listener through my honest stories and my transparent anecdotes, essentially. And if I don't do that, I'm just another podcaster. So for me, it's dive deep. On episode one of the Tribesman podcast, I came out and I said, I've had a porn problem, straight up. I had a, a porn addiction expert come on. And if I was just going to sit there pretending like I'm oblivious to this and this doesn't happen to me, it's very, very different. So what happened? I started getting text messages and saying, hey, me too. Thank you so much for admitting it. Thank you for being honest. I have a friend who became orthodox or religious and said, 
I've never admitted this to anybody, but I've had this issue as well. We're all human. We all make mistakes. We all, I was studying this morning, I have a, a study partner from Israel and we were studying about how like, nobody's perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. Don't judge others, but also share what you're going through so that people can connect. And so as long as you share what you're going through to connect and you're not embarrassed about it, shy about it, that's where I think you'll have a lot more success. Clearly you are successful and you're happy and you are very comfortable being vulnerable with your audiences. Mm -hmm. What are some of the boundaries you do have that you create as an entrepreneur and public figure? So first and foremost, I always ask permission of the wife because if it involves her, I think it's important to, to ask, is this okay that I share this? Right? The IVF was something that we shared together. And so I asked her, I said, can I talk about this? She said, yes. The porn addiction, same thing. I said, this is our marriage. Is it okay if I speak about this? She said, as long as you're helping other people with pleasure. I have a very understanding wife and she knows my mission. And so she's, she's very, very okay with it. But my boundaries, I never talk about private things about my daughters. I have three daughters, six, three, and, and a year and a half. But I'll never talk about like issues with them essentially because they don't have the opportunity to give me permission. I'll talk about things that like, oh, you know, I had such a hard time. I had to take care of the three girls and they drove me crazy and stuff like that. But I will never go into like their private life. Other than that, I'm, I'm very open and transparent. I feel like if I just share, it's going to help somebody. And so I don't have fear in essence with sharing. And I think it's what's made me a great podcaster and easy to listen to because I share the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that makes just me more human. I love that answer. So I can't do an episode, especially with an entrepreneur, not talking about the biggest mistakes, failures, errors, or most depressing parts of the work. Because I feel like it's something that's not discussed enough. Or when it is, it's quickly covered up with. And then I made a million dollars after and it was all okay. Yeah. And there are tons of people who right now may be listening to it and struggling with it now. And hearing the great big ending or success story is not necessarily helpful until they can relate to the struggling part. And I'm sure there might be something you're struggling with right now as well, because as you grow, there are new struggles. There's struggles throughout. When I had the pawn shop business, we were successful. Nice house, nice car, vacations. I got married seven months later. My wife said, hey, you got to figure this out. I did not get married to be alone. I was coming home. I was tired. I would eat, sit on the couch. We, she'd go to sleep. I'd fall asleep on the couch. We had no physical connection. Why? Because I didn't learn how to be able to manage, balance my personal life and my work life. And so there was a big struggle there. When we went through IVF, it almost broke me. I mean, it almost broke us as a couple. It was very, very tough. So how can I run a business while I'm sitting here thinking about like, oh my God, is this relationship going to last? Right? It's very, very hard. Lately, the struggle is I've outgrown my, my niche, essentially, and I want to be able to help more small businesses. And so there's a little bit of lack of clarity of like, well, where do I go next and how do I do this? This is what I know, what I've done for so long. How do I spread my wings and still grow my business, but not open up so much that I'm too general, as we spoke about before. I struggle every day. I think every day is a struggle. 
I struggle with. So I call these the four pillars and I do something called the focus four every day on these four things. So it's my connection to my spouse and my, my friends and family. There's beauty in that and there's struggle in that every single day. The condition of my body, like my health, there's beauty in that and there's struggle in that every day. My currency, which is my business and my personal finances, struggle every day. And then my conviction, which is my spirituality and my inner strength, I struggle with that. I struggle with sometimes I'll pray and sometimes I'll just be like, I'm not good enough to do this. Sometimes I'll be very connected and sometimes I'll just sit there like, God, I'm such a horrible human being. How could I even think about asking and, and praying for something? So I think it's a daily struggle. And if anybody tells you otherwise, they're lying to you and they're putting it under the rug. And for me, I have a saying that I tell my clients, which is leading with baggage is misleading. And so we all have baggage. It's just about being able to put it out in front of us and share it. I go to therapy once a week. I've been doing it for eight years, not because I'm crazy, but I just believe in a mental tune-up. I'm an entrepreneur. I've got work, family, spouse, kids. My mom had a stroke. My father passed away last year. I'm the president of the synagogue. I'm like, there's so much going on that to think that you can stay sane through it all without getting any help is a farce. So Another stigma that you're breaking down. Yeah. So there's struggle all the time. The difference is that I'm open to work on my struggle every single day so that I can show up and be present for my family and for my team. And if I don't, I'm just lying to myself and to them and I'm half-assed showing up and they're wondering like, what's going on? And then I wake up and I think to myself, well, I'm not showing up. I'm just putting on a mask every single day. And then, well, how can you actually be an incredible entrepreneur if you can't lead yourself, you can't lead your team and you're wearing a mask all day? Not the COVID mask. Correct. Not the COVID mask. So I want to bring in the Jewish identity piece here because you have your brand, but you also want to be authentic to who you are. And something that comes up for me a lot is I don't want to bring too much of my Jewish brand or my Jewish music into my professional entrepreneurship space because I might be turning people off because I'm singing in Hebrew or because I'm talking about religion and all the other topics you're not supposed to talk about when you're trying to be in business. I remember when I used to be in insurance, there were three topics you're not allowed to bring up with a potential client was religion, politics. I guess sex was the last one. That, that never came up, so it's okay. <laughs> How do you balance that? And do you believe that if you are open about your Jewish identity, that you might be limiting yourself to new clients and the camaraderie in your community? I'm very open about my, my Jewish faith. I talk about it all the time on my podcast. Uh, I talk about it all the time on my lives. I don't necessarily share all of my beliefs, but people know that I'm Jewish. People know that I love being Jewish and that I'm traditional and they, they know this about me. They'll all get asked to speak at conferences and, be like, and they'll say things like, hey, are you open to speak on Saturday or not? Just let me know. What's the answer to that? Well, so usually I, I have done in the past, I won't lie, but usually I don't, I don't like to. Do you need a kosher meal? Since I eat kosher meat and chicken, I'll say hey, just vegetarian, but if you can get a kosher meal, great for me. So I do share it, but... I don't think it's a hindrance. And I'll tell you, like, I've had Beryl Solomon on my podcast and he's very forthright about his orthodoxy and he built a whole business around it. And a movie. And a, a movie. And, and he's starting the, 
a big executive coaching firm who mostly coaches Jewish executives. For me, because it's not the work that I do in leadership, I teach about having conviction in your faith. I'm not going to be very vocal about it, if that makes sense. What I did do because of that is I started Tribesmen. I started Tribesmen to be able to talk about the lack of leadership in Jewish men and us pretending like everything's okay and us hiding everything under the rug and not telling the truth and how done I am with that. Because in my life, I've had a lot of Jewish men hide a lot of that stuff to the detriment of families, themselves, losing everything. And so I was like, I'm done. I'm done. Can you still do it? Yes. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with sharing your faith. And I don't think it would, it would lose business. I just think that like depends how in the forefront you are. So for example, if you've got your customer and you're trying to put tefillin on him and he doesn't want to, you'd be like, wait a second, hold up a second, like chill out, right? <laughs> but if you talk about like, oh, I'm really sorry, I can't go to your event Friday, Saturday, I'm Jewish and this is who I am, there's absolutely nothing wrong. Your clients should know who you are and what your belief in. That's, that's perfectly okay. I am very excited about the Jewish tribesmen podcast that I already started checking out. It's the second podcast this week that I was talking to the host of where the focus is empowering men, Jewish men, mm -hmm. and that has a whole different niche to it. But the idea that men need empowering and, and somebody speaking to them in their language, because I, I was surprised actually at how many men are listening to my podcast. I just assumed women were listening. If anything, we do need some more male voices talking about the topics women usually end up talking about when it comes to empowering women, because that's so in style right now, empowering women and girl power. Thanks for doing that work. It's, it's not easy. I've got to put myself out there like we talked about. I have to be open, honest, and, and real and raw, and that's not easy. And my, the same mentor is like, oh, you're going to go sell to pawn shops. That's tough. Now you're going to go sell to Jewish men. That's even tougher. But for me, it's not about selling something. It's just about talking about things that aren't spoken about. When I go to synagogue, the rabbi doesn't stand up and talk about addiction and all this type of things. And so I think there's some conversations that are taboo in, in our faith and that are not talking, spoken about. And there's a lot of judgment around. And so my goal is to just open that up to know that one, we're all flawed. Two, there's help in talking about it and being around people who are, have the same mindset. I'm not going to judge people who come into my group and are sharing this type of things because I've gone through a lot of it. And I'm a Jewish man. And so the, the tribesman isn't me as this guru coach. It's more, hey, come on this journey with me of connecting more to my spirituality, becoming a better husband, becoming a better father, and let's do it together. And let's bring in experts who can help us. I'm no expert in this. Do you choose your topics and then find speakers for those topics? Or do you see people and then say, okay, great, you're, we'll use whatever topic you're an expert at? So usually I'll find topics and say, okay, who can I find? If it's in the Jewish world, then I'll find somebody in the Jewish world. If not, it doesn't really matter. Men's topics are men's topics. But the, the most amazing thing about tribes is that people have been coming into the podcast when I need them the most. So I had a, a rabbi on who wrote a book on grief 
And I was crying on the podcast talking about my father who passed away last year, year and a half ago. And it was like the perfect moment. I had a IDF special counter terrorist unit military general who was on. And we spoke about the military mindset of getting things done and, and finishing the mission. So for me, it's like, what do, what do I want to speak about? What do I, when I go to dinner with my friends, what do we talk about? When I'm at synagogue and what is it that we talk about? And finding experts and bringing them in and saying, let's talk about this with no BS. Let's just open it up and see what happens. What's coming to my mind is a topic I'm focused on. Hopefully I'd like to go into it deeper. When I say I'd like to make some more shidduchim and connect more people, what usually ends up happening is women end up reaching out. The men don't. I'm left with a bunch of women's names and information, not the men. My question is, and I think you're the perfect person to ask, what's with the men today that either they become more secular and are not ready to engage in marriage earlier on when the women are, or I don't know what the other or is, but why is it so hard? Why are they not around suddenly? Why are there so many more women than men? I'm going to tell you my opinion. I don't know if it's the fact, but this is my opinion. When I was dating my wife, and she can tell you this if you ever meet her, I said, listen, having kids, I'm all for it. Marriage, I just don't know. That was my answer. And so the question is why? Why did I say that? I said it because I saw around me unhappy marriages where people pretended to be happy and I saw straight through it and they stayed together because of religion or because of old school. They were from Turkey and so like they, they never divorced, they never separate. And that's what I saw. I saw men cheating. I saw men speaking about girlfriends. I saw men saying, oh, I'd rather be at synagogue than going home to my wife because she, she moans and she, she complains all day long. And so I was never taught how to be a man. I was never taught how to deal with in a marriage. And so I think it's not that they don't want, they're, they're not around. I think they're terrified. They're terrified. I was brought up by my mom, mostly, who taught me that I was, you know, God's gift to the earth, that I was the best. I'm a good Jewish boy. I'm a mensch. And like, and whatever woman I was to be with, she is the luckiest human being on, on the face of the planet. So how do I come into the marriage? I'm like, you are the luckiest human being on the, on the planet. Like my mom told me so. I'm, I'm the best. Like, no, like you are absolutely wrong. When I was wrong most of the time. So it's, a, it's fear. It's, it's conversations that we don't have. Nobody talked to me about marriage, what I need to do. How do I make myself happy, my, my wife happy? What happens if we can't have kids? What happens when you do have kids? There's so much that's unspoken about that you're being thrown into like the lion's den with like no shield, no pep talk, nothing. And then we have social media, which is obviously, you know, showing us so much of what we, what we can have. Beautiful women, sexy men, incredible lifestyles, traveling the world, yachts. And people are looking at this and they're looking at each other like, you're not going to give you this. Uh, what's, what's the point? Yeah. There's a lot of miscommunication when it comes to like the beauty of marriage. And although the Jewish ideals and the values are very based on you becoming one, you know, be, you becoming whole when you get married, I think the issue is, and I apologize if I offended anybody, is that a lot of the talk 
when it comes to Judaism, when it, when it pertains to marriage, is this ideal that we can't touch. And there isn't truth. No rabbi has ever told me like, man, I had some years with my wife where I wanted to punch her in the mouth. Like I just, we couldn't stand each other. We couldn't, like it was just hard. What is it that I got? It was like, oh, marriage is a beautiful thing. Everything, we all just make her happy and life will be happy. You're like, wait a second. I'm missing 99.9% of the information that I need to not just make her happy, but myself happy. So it's the education. It's the education that the boys are getting everywhere in their all-male education. <laughs> yeah. So I'll, I'll go to, I'll give you the, the best example. When I was single and there was a men's event here in San Diego, I walked up to a table with 10 guys and I sat down to say hi to somebody. And they're like, you go, oh, you know, when are you going to get engaged? When are you getting married? Eight out of the 10 guys straight up, like, go, don't do it. It's cheaper to be single. Just, you know, don't, don't do it. It's, 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 you're going to have to deal with so much. You know, going to a restaurant now is double and they get, just don't do it. And so that's what we get. The boys today get, don't do it. And what do the women get? I'm going to guess is like, Marriage is a nice thing. You've got to do it. It's beautiful. And the home and the Jewish, you know, that's what you guys are getting. And we're getting like, run the F away from it as far as you can. That's what we get. Especially if you're not in like a very orthodox community, that's what we're getting all day long. And so you're going to have more women reach out to you saying, where are the guys? What's going on? Well, it just reminds me of when I go away for Shabbos and my young cousins are around their early 20s. I tried to not complain about my kids not sleeping because it just makes them scared of family life and how trapped you become once you can't leave the house after they go to sleep. And at the same time, I, I agree with you. I've got three girls. They drive me nuts sometimes. My daughter, Tali, woke me up on Sunday morning at 5.30 and said, Papi, I want to go to the gym with you. I'm like, it's Sunday at 5. Like, what? Let's go for a walk. I, I already have my, I'm like, but then I went on a trip for four days. And after day two, I was like, I want to go back home and be with my kids and my wife. There's a give and take to this whole thing, but I think that we're just not sharing the beauty of what it is. And especially, and I'm going to say something else, it's not going to be beautiful if you don't work on the marriage, if you don't work on being a great parent. If you're just flung into a marriage and you think that the other person is going to change without you changing, how is it going to be great? It's going to suck. And then that's when you get the complaints. Oh, marriage is horrible. And so when people say that to me, I was like, well, man, what have you done to make yourself a better husband? Me? I need to do work. What, what is this you talk about, Eagle? Me having to work on myself. This was so lovely. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate your perspective. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. But if you're listening, you know, and, and I know that you are big on starting podcasts and doing the podcast coaching thing, like just speak your truth. You know, don't be afraid as long as you can as long as you can be, you get permission from the spouse if you want to share stuff. But uh, there's, there's thousands and thousands of people just like you who have gone through what you're going through who don't have the courage to share. And if you just shared it, it can give them the courage to share it as well. Very powerful. Thank you. Where can people find you? So they can find me at Igaladado on all social media. If you have a want to listen to the Tribesman podcast, we are on Spotify and Apple and on Instagram tribes.men. That's M-E-N. Come check us out. Come listen and let me know what you think. And if there's something that you want me to talk about, let me know. 
Branson, thank you so much for sticking around until the end. Hope to see you next week. Join the chat. You can message me. I'll send you a link to join. And very soon, I'll be ready to start thinking and preparing for our next bunch of episodes. So thank you for all of you who have been reaching out, pitching me your stories and your ideas and topics. I'll be ready to hear from you soon. We are a part of Jewish Coffee House Network, so check out their podcasts on jewishcoffeehouse.com. Also, check out the backlog of this podcast, and if you need help launching your podcast or monetizing your podcast or everything else podcast-related, do reach out. I'm here for all your podcasting needs. See you next week. Okay, here's the situation. Our daughter Mia is leaving for her first sleepover. We have friends coming to stay, and we just got a puppy. So I go on Instacart and solve everything in one order from Kohl's. Fun PJs for Mia. Oh, new bedding for the guest room. And a vacuum cleaner that actually picks up pet hair. All delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. With Kohl's on Instacart, there's no such we can't fix. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum order. Additional terms apply.